Good morning and welcome to Midpoint Wednesday. I'm Shelley Reback, your host for WMNF's Mid-Florida, Midweek, Mid-Morning Dose of News and Public Affairs with a local perspective. You are, of course, listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, Tampa Bay's only independent FM radio, radio brought to you by you because we are supported by our generous listeners like you who keep us commercial free 24 7. Today, we are going to be talking about the primary election that was held yesterday in Florida. My guests are Craig Latimer, Hillsborough Supervisor of Elections, and his communications chief, Jerry Kramer, and Brian Corley, Pasco County Supervisor of Elections. Julie Marcus, the Pinellas County Supervisor of Elections, was also invited to participate in the show, but she declined. I'm looking forward to hearing from these supervisors how their elections went, especially given the concerns expressed in the media about election disruptions this year. But before we get into the mechanics of the elections with my guests, I want to spend a minute talking about the election results from my perspective. The opinions expressed by me about candidates, races, and results are mine alone and are not the opinions of my guests or of WMNF. We welcome you to join our conversation and express your opinions, too, during the show by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So yesterday was the primary election. It was the last chance to make your voice heard on who will carry the banner forward for the Democrats and Republicans in several important races. To me, the results looked a lot like 2020. Florida picked the more moderate, perhaps safer, more well-known choice for governor uh, in Charlie Crist. And it seems like he won in a landslide with over 350,000 more votes than Nikki Freed. Christ was chosen to take on the radically autocratic DeSantis, and to me, it felt like November may be a rerun of the Biden versus Trump election. Even though Christ promised an executive order to protect abortion rights and to reinstate State Attorney Andrew Warren in Hillsborough County, and even to make Election Day a state holiday, he's viewed by progressives as too moderate, as something of a dino, a Democrat in name only, because of course he was a Repub- uh, he was a Republican in the past. So I question whether the progressives will turn out for Christ or sit home and pout like in 2016 and give us another Trump. I'll be interested to hear what our listeners think about that. In the school board races in Hillsborough County, at least, again, the voters chose the more moderate candidate, Karen Perez, over the radical, anti-democratic, conservative Moms for Liberty candidate, Allie Marie Leggy. And even with the election of Republican Stacey Hahn over the extremely well-qualified and enthusiastic Damaris Allen, the school board still remains more blue than red. It looks like we won't be banning books anytime soon here in Hillsborough County. And in what was probably one of the most watched races in Hillsborough County, Nancy Jacobs beat Jared Smith, an incumbent judge, for a seat on the 13th Judicial Circuit. You'll recall that this was the race in which Smith had denied a teen the right to receive abortion services, and then he was reversed by the appeals court who chastised him for his judgment in the case. 
After that, however, Smith continued to defend his decision in the abortion case, and his election campaign took on the air of a Christian religious crusade as he announced that his work was always guided by Jesus and the Bible, and as his wife derided Nancy Jacobs, who was Jewish, as hard-hearted because she lacked Jesus in her heart. Smith also had to apologize to a reporter at Creative Loafing for lying about whether the reporter had tried to contact him for his side of a story they were writing on his race. The voters apparently didn't like any of that and decided to replace him, which is extraordinary in itself because unseating an incumbent judge is almost unheard of anywhere. Generally, the lawyers who practice in the circuit court are afraid to support a challenger. And it was the same here as Jacob struggled to fundraise for her campaign because the donors to campaigns are revealed publicly and those lawyers who practice in circuit court don't want the incumbent and his judicial colleagues on the bench to see their support for a challenger. Now, perhaps, this win by a challenger would make it easier for the next David to challenge Goliath. You might look at the Smith-Jacobs race and decide that this was a self-own, that Smith was such a bad candidate that he lost his race rather than Jacobs won it. But I wonder if being known as the judge who denied a teen an abortion didn't have much more to do with it, and whether that bodes well for the Democrats in the general election in November, because I think abortion rights will definitely be on the ballot in November. I'd like to hear your thoughts about that, listeners. So call us at 813-239-9663, email dj at wmnf.org, or text 813-433-0885. What do you think? Is the Smith race a bellwether for the November election? Now let me turn to my guests. We have with us Craig Latimer, the Hillsborough County Supervisor of Elections. He was elected to his position in November 2012 and took office in January 2013. He was then re-elected in 2016 and 2020 and is now serving his third term in office. Prior to his election as supervisor, he served as chief of staff to the former supervisor of elections. And before that, he served and protected the community for 35 years in law enforcement, retiring as a major from the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office in 2008. Supervisor Latimer currently serves on the Committee for Safe and Secure Elections, and he formerly served as the president of Florida's statewide association of elections officials in 2020. Craig Latimer is a constitutional officer of the state. That means he runs uh, in a partisan election, and he runs as a Democrat. With him is his chief communications officer, Jerry Kramer. And we welcome Brian Corley, Pasco County Supervisor of Elections. Mr. Corley is with us by telephone from the county to our north. Brian Corley has been serving the citizens of Pasco County as their Supervisor of Elections since 2007, when he was appointed to the position by then Republican Governor Charlie Crist, I believe. And he's since been reelected by the voters of Pasco County over and over as a Republican. 
He previously served in senior managerial positions with the Pasco County Clerk of the Circuit Court, as well as with the Pasco County Sheriff's Officer. And he, too, is a state-certified election administrator and, like Mr. Latimer, is past president of the Florida State Association of Supervisors of Elections. So welcome to you both, all three of you. Craig, happy to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. And Brian, are you with us on the phone? Yes, Shelley, thanks for having us. Okay, great. Um, I'll just ask you to speak up a little louder than your normal tone since you're on the phone and, and we'll be able to hear you well. So welcome to Midpoint, gentlemen. Let me start by asking you both. There was so much talk after January 6th that this election in 2022 was in danger and that we'd have people disrupting the polls and challenging results. Have we seen that yet or can we still expect that in November? Uh, let me start with you, Craig Latimer, since you serve in a Democratic county. Did you have any disruption at the polls? We did not. We had a really smooth day out there. Of course, you know, we had uh, 69% of our voters voted prior to Election Day. So we had a, a pretty small turnout. It was, uh, it was a great day. And what about you, Mr. Corley? Did you have any disruptions at your polls? None whatsoever. It was uh, it was it was one for the books. It was uh, like my good friend Craig Latimer said. It was it was very very smooth. So we were very pleased up here. Well, um, I appreciate hearing that from both of you. I do know, however, uh, because I have spoken to a number of people who were poll watching in the polls that there were quite a few voters who were really angry when they turned up to vote and found that Trump and in some cases DeSantis were not on their ballot. And some of them screamed at your clerks and were really, you know, rude um, to some of your clerks. So, Craig, how, how do your clerks deal with that? You know, we all heard the story of Ruby Moss and her mother in Georgia during the January 6th hearings. And I wonder if that kind of behavior from voters toward your clerks has made recruitment of poll workers any harder. You know, first of all, that's the first I've heard of that. Um, wasn't aware of people being screamed at. It certainly didn't rise to a level that we heard about it back at the office. Okay. Uh, primaries are always a tricky time. I mean, I took a phone call from somebody that wanted to know why they got a no-party affiliation ballot uh, because they, you know, thought they were registered in another party. And you go back and look and find out, no, that you registered as a no-party affiliate. You never changed your party affiliation. Uh, so, you know, that's always a, an issue in, in primaries, especially in the presidential preference primary. Uh, you know, a lot of our voters judging by the percent here, where we only had a 25% turnout, they only vote in general elections. In general elections, everybody gets the same ballot. So you don't have a clue that you got a party, you know, a different party ballot because they're all the same. Uh, so this is where we see it in the primary elections. As far as recruitment, we have had no problem whatsoever recruiting poll workers. Uh, we're really proud of our community that uh, people are willing to step forward. You know, Putting on an election is a community event, quite frankly, uh, and we've got people that are helping their friends, their neighbors, their family cast that vote on election day or at early vote if they choose to. What about you, Mr. Corley? Did you uh, have any trouble with recruiting poll workers given the attention uh, that was um, attendant on the January 6th hearings and the experiences of some of the poll workers in Georgia? We did not, but I have to tell you, though, I was going into this cycle, I was very, very concerned about that, uh, and we were blessed to have an overflow, but in a cruel irony, we had a little bit of an uptick of some COVID, uh, and that affected, you know, last week that affected our numbers going in, so 
you know, as as uh, President Reagan once said, the eight most feared words in the English language are, "I'm from the government. I'm here to help." Um, we were able to reach out to uh, I reached out to my fellow constitutional officers, the sheriff, the the, the property appraiser, the county minister. We were able to get some uh, some some county employees and government employees to help us out and fill that void. So it worked out well. And, and I have to tell you, I was full disclosure. I was expecting a little bit more uh, turbulence, shall we say, a little bumpy ride with with some of the interaction and. And what can best be described is, is a good irony. This is probably the most shout-outs I got via uh, phone calls, emails from voters just saying, hey, I want to let you know I went to vote, and your your folks are top-notch. My poll workers were telling me that people thanking them for their service more than usual. So not only did we not see the negative, we I think I think it brought out the best in people and showing some civility, which was uh, surprising to me, but in a good way. I would echo that too, Shelley. We had numerous people that were thanking our poll workers. Um, you know, an early vote, I was at our ser- election service center. I was hearing people walk out thanking the poll workers on the way out. Great experience. So, um, you know, we're just, we're not seeing what was uh, out there being rumored. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. Uh, so you hear that, everybody out there in Radio Land? If you didn't show up to vote in the primary, we hope that you will. Make yourself heard in the November election so that you can uh, have this great experience of civic engagement that voting provides. Um, all right, I want to turn to uh, at least one of the um, one of the election results that um, I noticed between Pasco and Hillsboro. A, a really big difference in this in this the results of the school millage elections. Um, I noticed in Pasco. And please correct me, Brian, if I'm wrong about this, but it looks like in Pasco, your school millage tax um, passed overwhelmingly with a margin of about 16,000 votes. But in Hillsborough, it looks like it's it's going to a, a recount. Is that right, Craig? It is, yes. Right now it's uh, sitting at about 028 difference. And under Florida law, anything that's uh, 0.5 or less goes to an automatic machine recount. Okay, so it goes to a machine recount, but there is no, like, re-vote for it. There's no, uh, you know, the, right? We don't. That's correct. No, we're going to take the same ballots that have already been voted at both uh, vote-by-mail, early vote, and election day. We're going to run all those ballots back through our high-speed scanners and then compare to see if there's any differences. Now, what we do when we're doing that is we're also what we call outstacking or separating ballots that have undervotes and overvotes on them. And when that occurs, then, if we have to go to a manual recount, that's what we'll look at. To uh, The canvassing board will look to make sure that the voters' intent was, in fact, carried out. And, uh, Brian, what do you uh, attribute um, the difference between the, the millage race in Pasco and the uh, millage race in, in, in Hillsborough for the school tax? Do you have any thoughts on that? Well, I have to tell you that a lot of the pundits were saying the climate's not right, it's not going to pass yeah. uh, because of inflation, et cetera. And, and, you know, as a voter myself, I was I was surprised at, at the outcome. It was, you know, nearly 59%. It does require only a simple majority uh, and not the 60% threshold as a constitutional amendment. But, um, you, you know, that's it, it's really a good lesson in if you don't vote, you can't complain because we also had about the same turnout as Hillsborough, and so that means you know only one out of every four voted. And regardless of reviews on it, that means three out of four didn't vote, and that could have certainly impacted the outcome. But the, the voters spoke, and, and of course, there there will will be um, respected and implemented. Shelley, let me point out a little anomaly here too. It's kind of interesting. Sure. 
Um, in that school board millage election, we had almost 7,500 voters that didn't vote in that race. Wow, just left so it blank. We've got a difference right now. I think it's right around 615 or 19 or something. And, and we had seven, almost 7,500 people that did not vote in that race. Wow, that is an interesting point. So those people basically will wind up deciding uh, whether or not that school tax uh, gets implemented. Well, I was saying, I've been saying this for several weeks now that, you know, we were going to have six items on our ballot that will be decided at the primary with that being one of them. So what we've got here now is 25% of our voters made the decision for the other 75%. And in that particular case, it's even less. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say that not making a decision is also a decision, and that that just really proves the point. Um, The other thing I noticed about these results was that in PASCO, it seems like the nonpartisan races, many of them, not all, but many of them, were decided by fairly wide margins, while in Hillsborough, uh, those races were closer in many cases, with the exception of the race between uh, Karen Perez and the Moms for Liberty candidate on the Hillsborough County School Board. It did seem like the nonpartisan races were closer than in uh, in Pasco. What do you think about that? Anybody have anything to offer on that? I would let Brian comment on that. It's his <laughs> county. <laughs> Brian? Uh- like I, I'm sure uh, I can echo exactly. I can tell you what every supervisor election is doing once once the results start coming in on election night. Uh, we're not. I couldn't even tell you who's winning, who's losing. We're, we're we're seeing if our election day prayer of you know let the winners win by a wide margin is is, is taking hold. Uh, <laughs> That's the that. election day prayer of every supervisor. Let it the is. winners win big uh, to avoid <laughs> yeah. recount if possible. And obviously, Craig didn't pray hard enough. No, I'm yeah. Uh, we. <laughs> we look we look at those results to see the difference, but you're right. I, I did notice that last night. Uh, it, you know, they were they were not even close. Uh, we, we even had one school board race with three candidates. Yeah, uh, so you uh, get to you get a little break now, Craig. When does your recount start? So um, the canvassing board will order the recount uh, Thursday at our meeting, which is at five p.m. Um, I would imagine that it's probably going to start Friday morning, somewhere around ten p.m. because we've got a we've got a lot of ballots we've got to count. You know, and we've also um, I don't know if you noticed that we have another countywide recount that we're going to have to do, and that's in one of the county judges' races. Um, in the race of uh, Melissa Black and Lynette Starbrookens, Mike Isaac, and uh, Alicia Bozich, Melissa Black had the highest percent, but she did not get 50%. Right, and if so it's then, under 50% in a multi-candidate race, then... The two, the, the two highest candidates go forward. Well, in this case, we've got between the number two candidate and the number three candidate, they're 0.35 apart. Wow. So again, under that 0.5 threshold, so that will be, if it holds now, that will be a recount also, countywide recount. And that will be to decide who faces off against Melissa Black in November. Correct. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Well, before we get too far into more questions about the election, I did want to... read to you uh, an email from Mark from Brandon um, who says please thank Mr. Latimer and his staff over on Falkenberg Uh, his staff was very friendly and helpful when I stopped in there Monday lastly oh well this was a compliment to me (laughs) but thank you Mark from Brandon Uh, we appreciate all the compliments for all of us Yeah, and we're glad you had a good election experience um, 
And I, uh, I have another text message here from someone who says, I received a mail ballot. I voted and sent it in. Two days later, I get a letter from the election office saying I did not request the ballot, which was true. Then I was instructed to fill out a provisional ballot on election day. I went to my precinct and was informed that my mail ballot was counted. Isn't this strange? Uh, I don't have a name here, but this is a text message from 6264. Thank you for your text. Uh, I don't even know which county that happened in. He, I think it he, was in Pasco. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's a little confusing, Shelley. I mean, yeah. obviously, without having more information, yeah. um, I would I would urge that voter to contact whichever county uh, they vote in, uh, contact the office because we'd be more than happy to look into it. Um, it's confusing about I didn't request a ballot, but I mailed one in yeah. because in, in Florida, only registered voters who request a vote by mail ballot receive them. We don't just mail them out. You know, Shelly, let me jump piggyback off of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get those calls every election, and sometimes voters confuse. They'll say, you sent me a ballot. Uh, and what we did send them, in accordance with Florida law, was a re- required sample ballot. And uh-huh. sometimes they confuse that yep. with a with a vote-by-mail ballot. Right. And I noticed that somebody sent their ballot back in um, <laughs> with a nasty message scrawled across it saying, please stop sending me this effing political text. <laughs> right? We, we did get one of those, yes. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did see that. Okay. Well, uh, again, I want to uh, I want to move into, uh, let's talk about turnout in this election from both of you. Um, this is where, like, the wah-wah kind of uh, noise should come in if we were the kind of radio station that had those kinds of uh, those kinds of noises. I would do that wah-wah because I, it seems to me that in such highly charged political times as we've been experiencing in this country, you would think that more people would turn out to vote, that more people would turn out to to show up and pick, you know, the Democratic candidate for governor that's going to go against uh, DeSantis um, or to show up uh, and pick whether or not they want to see books banned in their schools by voting for one or another of a school board candidate. But it seems we still had a pretty low turnout. How did this election, you know, compare to past elections? And what what do you guys think drives turnout? Yeah, so let me start off first by saying that there's elections and there's politics, and my office does elections. Mm. Um, what we're doing is making sure that we have every person that's eligible to get registered to vote has the opportunity to do that, and then for every registered voter the opportunity to come out and vote. Primaries are traditionally low turnout. Uh, I don't understand why. I, I wish we could solve that problem, but we literally were right on track to do what we did in 2018, and that was 25%. Now, the irony of that, too, is that since 2018, we've added 71,000 voters, new voters to the rolls. Right, that's the thing. So we had 71,000 more people vote, but we still were right at 25%. Oh, I see. I see what you're saying. So you had more people, but the same percentage of Correct. registered voters. Correct. What about you, Brian? How was your turnout? Eerily similar, ident- nearly identical. To, to the, I, I'm comparing the 2018 midterm primary, and it is, you know, I call it the irony of turnout. When I when I get when I speak to community groups, and particularly 
in the high schools and colleges, I, I talk about the fact that you know everyone gets excited when the when a presidential candidate's on the ballot. But you know, we like we talked about, there's there's a school board millage that's going to impact you know every every voter. School board contest, county commission, and, and there's something for everyone judges. And, and yet, the irony is that those are the closest offices to the people generally have the lowest turnout. And you know, right. I, I can't help but think of, you know, I think of my daughter who's active duty military, and at a minimum, we owe it to, to vote in honor of a veteran, those who wore and wear the uniform. And it's been said that, you know, we've had men and women have crossed oceans to fight for our freedoms. Some never came back, while others won't cross the street to vote. And that's a sad commentary, but, you know, we, we're optimistic coming into the general that it's going to be uh, hit out of the park turnout. Well, I, I hope you're right about that. We have a text message from 6264 who says, was low turnout possibly related to COVID? I don't think that's the case. Because, I don't, yeah. No, not in free Florida well, where especially, we yeah. have no COVID restrictions. Vote by mail ballots. You don't have to worry about COVID. You know, we saw a big uptick in vote by mail in the 2020 election, and it was definitely attributed to COVID, uh, that people were, you know, fearful to come out. But, but one one thing I noticed is that uh, in years past, before uh, before twenty twenty, um, Republicans were the the Republican Party really emphasized voting by mail. They you know did a lot of engagement with their people to get them to vote by mail, and they were by far the leader in vote by mail in Florida. That seems to have changed now since. You know, Trump and since all of these allegations about, you know, vote by mail being problematic, now all of a sudden we see more Republicans voting in person than we did in the past. Isn't that right? Yeah, we, yeah, we definitely. Love, Go ahead, Brian. Uh, yeah, uh, you know, uh, Supervisor Latimer and I, um, and along with our colleagues, uh, lobbied the legislature to change the verbiage from absentee ballot to vote by mail. To You know, we had many senior citizen voters who thought they were being derelict by not going to the polls on election day. And now, as we know, it's one of three ways to vote. And I, and I can't tell you, during the 2020 general cycle and since, the amount of times I've heard from individuals who have said, you know, Brian, I don't, I don't mind that, that uh, vote by mail about that it's the absentees that are no good. And we tell them it's synonymous, it just blows their mind. Um, and it, it is ironic that it had been a, a great turnout model for um, – Republican Party, and now it's become vilified, which is, you know, it's unfortunate. You know, like like Craig said earlier, there's our job is there's no place for politics, and I, I personally get annoyed and frustrated when politics hijacks election administration. It's inappropriate, and that's not what we do, and so that's that's unfortunate. Yeah, well, um, I have a call here from Ron in Lakeland who has a question about the new voting law. Ron, you're on the air. Who's your question to? Um, actually, I can just put it out there, General, okay. with the two wonderful guests you have. Um, I became aware of a change in law in the state legislature that there is going to be a more, a higher level of scrutinizing the signatures on mail-in ballots. And as a result of that law, I went to vote in person for the first time in probably six or seven years. Because okay. I know my signature has changed, and it probably would have been questioned, and I got sloppy handwriting. Give me a break. Okay, great question, Ron. Thank yeah, that, you for for raising it with us. Um, yeah, what about that? Yes, yeah, so that's that's a great question, Ron. And, and uh, ironically, yes, the law did change, and candidates and parties can designate people to come in and view signatures um, just like we do. And and I will tell you first off that we physically look at each and every signature on a ballot or on the the envelope on the vote by mail ballot. 
the people that do that have gone through the state certified training in handwriting and signature comparison. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've got people that are experts looking at that. If for some reason your signature doesn't match, there's a remedy for it. Uh, we will try and immediately get in touch with you and let you know that. And there's an oath you can fill out and a copy of uh, one of the acceptable forms of ID. And you can then return that to us. Now, back to the signature verification. We did have numerous people come in that were designated. And uh, they looked at over 1,500 signatures. And they protested three. Wow. They came in and they looked at... How many signatures? Over 1,500. Over 1,500 signatures, and they protested three. So these were members of the public? No, these were people that are designated by either the party or well, a candidate. Okay, so they Yes, members of the public. Yeah, members of the public designated by a party. And who, which party or candidate were they designated by? I couldn't tell you. You couldn't tell me? I, d- I don't know off the top of my head who oh. it was. Well, I think I, I think I know. I think it was the Republicans. I think it was the Republicans who sent people into your office to observe the signature match and review signature matches. But um, out of all of those reviews, three were protested. Yes. Wow. Well, I think that's an excellent record. You should be proud of that. Um, Well, and, and, you know, if you look every year, you look, we just have a very, very small number of vote-by-mail ballots that ultimately get rejected by the canvassing board for a signature problem. And, I mean, it's literally, I think, in 2020, out of 357,000, I think we had 300 that were rejected. And that was because the people didn't take the time to attempt to cure it. Yeah, now let's talk about the cure process because people don't, I don't think, understand that. So if you send in a vote-by-mail ballot and you your office or Brian's office determines that the signature doesn't match, immediately your office sends out some kind of communication to those people uh, by mail, by snail mail, right? And we, if they've yeah. given you their if they've given you their email and or their phone number, does your office try to reach out that way too? Absolutely. And, you know, we've got uh, a lot of times we have that information on a voter where they've given us an email in the past for whatever or a phone number. Uh, but, yeah, we, we actually take a very proactive approach to that. As a matter of fact, Jerry's people are the ones that are very active in that and trying to reach out to these voters and, and you know, help them, assist them in getting this cure done. Yeah, and then they, they if they want to cure their signature, an affidavit goes out to them, which they can then complete and provide certain identification uh, that's accepted by the state. And if they follow those procedures, their vote will be counted, right? It will, yes. Yeah, so... It, it, it's one more reason why if you're going to vote by mail, you should vote really early. Like, don't let it sit on top of the microwave for two weeks, right? Well, we tell people the same thing for voting in person. If you're going to vote in person, go vote at early vote and don't wait till the last day. You know, that way, if there is some kind of problem, you've got days to correct it instead of showing up at an election day polling site at five and maybe being at the wrong site. And now you've got two hours to correct it. Good point with that, too. You know, one of the things that people may not realize is that as soon as your vote is cast and accepted by your office, the campaigning 
on you stops. People don't realize that, that candidates spend money to obtain public records from elections offices of people who are registered to vote but have not voted, and they make their determinations about who they want to hit with their door knockers and with their mailers and with their texts and with their phone calls. And and once somebody votes, that stops. In addition, um, and, and this is in state statute, the uh, parties and candidates have a right to know who's requested a vote-by-mail ballot, so they know everybody that's received one. And then likewise, every day, we send up to the state a list of those people that have turned in their vote-by-mail ballot. And then when early vote starts, we're also sending that information up. Uh, so, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of notification that goes into it. So yeah, another so, good reason not to hold on to your vote-by-mail ballot. <laughs> another good reason, right. And if you don't want those people knocking on your door, there's another good reason to go vote either by mail or in-person early vote and stop the campaigning. Now, let me just caveat that by saying that the requests for donations never stop, <laughs> whether you voted or not. Those requests will continue to come in, but the campaigning stops. Let me ask you, Brian, um, in your county, did you have uh, people examining your signature matches? Surprisingly, no. Uh, and I will tell you, for the, the great question from the caller, you know, vote by mail has become so politicized and in some circles vilified, but it's it's an urban legend, uh, you know, that, you know, you're not checking the signatures. We check every one of them. We are required, uh, of course, the canvassing board, which is comprised of the supervisor elections, a county judge, and a county commissioner, to receive handwriting um, training or analysis. Um, and I will tell you, you know, if you want to kind of bol- uh, pivot, pivot, rather, into election security, uh, I can tell you I've had all but one individual, because if your signature doesn't match, we do reach out to you, and we're, we can get pretty creative. We've even used Facebook Messenger to get a hold of people. We don't, don't have a phone number, an email, and, uh, you know, let, let you know your signature did not match. And I've had exactly one person say, I didn't, I didn't, I never got the ballot. It turns out the neighbor who delivered the wrong mailbox, the neighbor who was like 90 years old signed it. It was, it was not willful. It was oopsie doozy. But the point is, those individuals, you know, they knew they'd request it and they knew they'd send it in. So it, it, it speaks to the integrity of the process and the security. But no, we didn't have anyone this time. But, you know, transparency is, is what we're about. That's one of the cornerstones of our election administration model. So we welcome the oversight and transparency. We just, we're, we're seeing some that have some agendas and it's, it's interfering with the ability to get our jobs done and, and that's where it becomes a little bit a little bit awkward well did you didn't have that experience in this cycle yet right that no but we, I'm, I'm anticipating coming up in the next couple of months or so yeah i i wonder if that's true i have a caller uh clay from land of lakes uh clay you're on the air do you have a question for our supervisors i do i first want to say I, i'm uh, honored to know both of these men the latimers are a long time family friends of my family, the Colson family, and, and Brian Corley is, uh, is is my Republican. When people talk mad about Republicans, I've been Democrat my whole life, I'd say, well, Brian Corley does an excellent job. I've, I've been trying to convince Brian to run for a high, higher office. Uh, I think that he could, no, seriously, I, I think that he could do well you know, as a state representative or a state senator or even better than that. So, well, anyway. I'm comforted by having him as supervisor of elections in, in Pasco, so I'm not going to go along with that or, you know, urging. Well, I'm, I'm comforted by having him as supervisor of elections, too, because uh, he does a damn good job. Yeah, as so. a Democrat, I'm comfortable. So, all right, what's your question, Clay? So, um, I, I had to walk away from the radio, so you may have already answered this. 
But I was wondering how many, uh, uh, first off, it's terrible. We only have a 25% turnout. But of all that, how many people actually, um, what's the numbers of people who voted by mail as opposed to people who went to early voting or going on the day, um, the election day? Okay. All right. I'll turn it over to Craig and Brian to answer that. Yeah. Thank you, Craig. In Hillsborough County, we had uh, 53% of our voters voted by mail, 16% voted at early voting, and 31% voted on election day. Wow. The highest numbers were vote by mail. Mm-hmm. Is that, has, have you seen that trend increasing over the last several cycles? I have, yes. As a matter of fact, it's mm-hmm. uh, it started in 2020 with the pandemic when a lot of people oh, took right. advantage of that, but this is one of the highest uh, vote-by-mail percentages we've had in any election. Yeah, despite all the, you know, news and media kind of uh, focus on people criticizing vote-by-mail, you still had the highest ever. That's interesting. What about you, Brian? Uh, I'm a little sleep-deprived, and I don't have those numbers readily available, <laughs> okay. but i tell you, uh, definitely vote-by-mail was very, very strong, um, and early voting was relatively quiet. Election day was stronger than I expected. I think we ended up with about forty-five or 48,000 vote-by-mail ballots, but you know, it, it, was, it was between uh, vote-by-mail and election day was quite strong. Early voting was a, a bit lighter than I would have liked. Okay. Um, and let me ask you, Brian, with so many people moving into the area, especially Pasco, growing like crazy, what are you seeing in Pasco in terms of party registrations, new party registrations, um, you know, Republican versus Democrat? Well, it, we, it had been, you know, referred to as a, one of the bellwether counties because of the sampling of Democrats, Republicans, and NPA, but uh, Pasco is definitely becoming more red by the day. You know, we're about 407,000 voters, and of those... 165,000 plus a Republican and the clear majority. There was a time in Pasco when, and Clay might be able to remember these days in Pasco where if you were to register any other than Democrat, they would say why? Because you wouldn't be able to vote in anything because <laughs> a Democratic county. But um, it, it's clearly becoming more red by the day. Um, and so that's just the, the evolution of the voting trends in Pasco. Interesting. Thank you. What about you, Craig? Do you, what do you see in Hillsborough? Yeah, um, you know, we're seeing pretty much status quo with our party affiliation, except for the no party affiliation is really bumped up. Oh. Um, I checked it the other day, and I mean, it's the no party affiliation in Hillsborough is just under the Republican Party numbers. Hmm. Interesting. All right, uh, we have a call from Mike. Mike, you're on the air. Do you have a question for our supervisors? Yes, the sig- yes, the signature match thing brought kind of a humorous anecdote for me. I-, I voted yesterday, and I do have a question. So I showed up and showed my driver's license and my voter card. And at one point, they hand me like a little iPad screen, electronic. Thing. Can you sign here? <laughs> I'm so used to And like the little felt pen you write with, you know. And I'm used to like in a restaurant, oh, yeah, I'll scribble my name. And I didn't realize I was supposed to take care in signing my name. But apparently it was clear enough, and I think they compared it to the signature on my driver's license. Right. So it's interesting. I didn't realize that signature I was putting in, I think, was the one that this voter worker visionally checked. So I got kind of a, a chuckle out of that afterwards. Fortunately, I, I scribbled it clearly enough, apparently. But is that how it's typically done? That's it. That's it. Thanks, Mike. I'll turn to you, Craig. That is how it's done, Absolutely, right? it is. Yeah, you know, we've, you've got your photo um, ID, you know, I'm assuming maybe a driver's license. So they're looking at your picture, uh, looking at your face, and then they're also looking at the signature that you furnished on the electronic poll book uh, against the signature on the identification that you've provided. 
So um, I would like to turn to take a minute to um, turn to this uh, last week's uh, press conference by Governor DeSantis down in Broward County, which of course is the most heavily Democratic county in the state. Um, and last week, DeSantis uh, had, had this big press event to announce voter fraud right here in River City, among other places. He announced a, a grand total of, of 20 incidents, 20, 20 defendants that he was charging with, with voter fraud around the state. And they were all in Democratic-controlled counties. What a coinkydink. Uh, he failed to mention the four or five cases uh, that have been disclosed that arose out of the villages, which is a Republican stronghold. And all of these most recent cases involved returning citizens who wanted to vote and uh, thought that they were permitted to vote, but were allegedly ineligible to vote. Um, I think that there's a lot of confusion, confusion about the status of returning citizens, about uh, felon voting. Um, and I would like somebody, one of you, to tell us about the current status of the law regarding felons voting, vote felon voting, and who is really responsible for reading out, weeding out any ineligible voters. I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll throw this to you, Craig, since your county was one of the counties mentioned. Yeah, and, and let me first state that uh, that was action that was taken by the state. We weren't involved in it. We weren't consulted or anything else, so uh, I don't what, have any direct was, knowledge so we, that they... The press conference and the resulting people that were uh, arrested, um, but yeah, there, there's a process in place already with the state. Uh, they notify us of somebody that has been adjudicated guilty of a felony, and they send us a package that includes that adjudication from the clerk's office, and you know has dif different information so that we can certainly make that match. Then there's a. a uh, process that's in state statute that we follow. Uh, the first thing we have to do is send that voter a certified letter to the address we have on file, and they have 30 days to respond to that. They can actually request a hearing with us. You know, if maybe our information is not correct, um, but then 30 days goes by, they haven't responded. Then we have to publish their name in a newspaper of general circulation, and they have another 30 days to contact us. If that doesn't happen, that voter uh, with the felony adjudication is then placed in an ineligible status. Uh, so there is a process that's in place. Uh, I can tell you that these particular voters from Hillsborough, and that's the only ones I could speak to, uh, we were notified after the 2020 election, uh, in 2021 actually, I think it was, that these people had felony convictions. We've since removed them from the rolls, uh, but they were, you know, from the ones I looked at, they were on the rolls in 2020. So, and that's the allegation is that they voted improperly in 2020, but your office was not informed by the state, by the Secretary of State's office, Laura Lee's office, that they were not eligible to vote before the 2020 election. Is that that's right? correct. That's correct. But, you know, and, and also I will say that there's a, a little bit of, uh, of responsibility here on the voter, too. Uh, there's been a lot around, about this, about fines and fees and, you know, you should know whether you own fines or fees uh, for if you know felony convictions that you've had. Uh, I was a little bit taken aback that these were some major uh, violent crimes that were committed, murders and sexual batteries. Uh, so you know, I would think that uh, that there's certainly some 
personal responsibility on these people to ascertain if they are in fact eligible to vote. Yeah, those are not the kind of crimes, though, that generally have fines and fees associated with them, though. So, um, you know, it would seem to me that, um, you know, that you're either informed of, of your ineligibility at the time of your release from either custody or, or uh, you know, uh, some sort of parole-like kind of post-custody supervision, or you're not informed. Yeah, that's that's a little over my pay grade. Okay. Um, so I couldn't respond to that. <laughs> all right, but. but I think the salient point, though, is that um, despite all this hoo-ha at this press conference, what's really what really uh, came to my notice was that the state itself was responsible for alerting your office and the other four offices that these were ineligible voters and they didn't do so before the voter voted. I think that that, to me, that's the salient point that the governor did not did not raise at his press well, conference. Shelley, I will say that I know you're an attorney. I'm not. I play one on TV, so I couldn't <laughs> respond any more to that. All right. Well, I'll let you go on that. I will say, though, that we have uh, a number of... Uh, of text messages here from people who are complimenting you and your office, um, and I assume they mean uh, Pasco as well on how smooth their voting experience was. We have one from a poll worker from your office who was thrilled with uh, the experience. I'm not going to go through them all. I was going to say, that's one of my 1,844 poll workers that made for a great day out there for election day for all of our voters. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. So I, I'm just, I don't want to let you go without telling you that I don't have time to read all these, but I, we certainly appreciate uh, the comments from the public, um, you know, giving you these kudos. Uh all right. Please ask your guests to clarify information about the provisional ballot procedures. Um, I, 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 that's the that's all I got out of that text message. Yeah, that's okay. From. You know, provisional ballots. People think that they're bad, and they're not bad at all. They're good things. Uh, it's kind of an insurance policy. Uh, because what that does is when that provisional envelope comes back to our office, it gives our office time to really investigate, look at the files, and see what's going on with it. I can also tell you that yesterday, our canvassing board accepted 27 provisional ballots of people that went in to vote and forgot their ID. And so they had to fill out the provisional envelope. They had to sign that. And as soon as it got back to our office, we did just like we do vote by mail. We compare that signature on the envelope to what we have on file. And if it matches, that voter doesn't have to do anything else. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought that out because I know that there were people who were really objecting to uh, to um, using a provisional ballot. They came to the polls. They didn't have their ID or they didn't have the correct ID. They were offered a provisional ballot and then they were mad and they didn't want to vote a provisional ballot. So I think it's important that people understand that. Yeah, you know, additionally, when uh, we had, I know we had three that the poll workers couldn't find the person at the polling site at early vote uh, in the electronic poll books. And oftentimes that happens if people have a hyphenated name or, you know, there's additional names involved that they can't find them. So they voted a provisional ballot. Those three came back to our office, our experienced full-time employees, then investigated it, went further with it, and sure enough, found them. And those three ballots were also accepted. So, you know, a provisional ballot's not a bad thing. Uh, it certainly is a good thing. You know, the only reason a provisional ballot's not going to get accepted 
is if you're not a registered voter, period, you've never registered, or on election day, you've gone to the wrong polling site and you've refused to go to the right polling site. Uh, it's very clear in statute on election day, you must vote in the polling site assigned to your precinct. So, I mean, that's literally about the only two reasons that uh, a provisional ballot would be rejected by the canvassing board. Yeah, you would think with the te- modern technology we have today that we could get, that there could be some state legislative changes that would allow people to vote on election day the same way they vote early vote and just have their personal ballot printed with their, uh, you know, precinct relevant candidates and let people vote anywhere like they do for early vote. Because I know uh, from experience working at the polls that hundreds and hundreds of people are turned away from early vote sites and told to go to vote at their precinct on election day. And of course, none of us have any control over whether they actually do so. And we lose so many voters. And I wonder, is there any any like push by supervisors of elections to encourage the legislature to come up with some something like that? Brian. Brian? Brian? Uh, we lose Brian. Are you with Craig, us? I'm gonna yield, Craig, let me yield to you on that one if I could. Mike. Uh, all right. Yeah, so that, that's a concept that is in uh, different states called the uh, uh, vote centers. Uh, where they actually have like an early vote site and they open up and they stay open right through election day. Uh, we don't have that in statute. I can tell you that our Florida State Association of Supervisors has actually looked at this. We've done some polling. Uh, one of the issues is that it's a little bit costly. Uh, and the smaller counties or medium-sized counties uh, don't have the equipment. They'd have to purchase equipment and go on and on. Uh, you know, so there's some monetary and fiscal issues to go with it too. But yeah, we have that. I, I, talk about it. Uh, Jan Platt Library is a classic example. Yeah. On election day, we'll generally get more people show up that don't vote there than West actually Tampa, do vote there. West Tampa the same. West Tampa Library the same. And West Tampa is not an election day site. Yes. And they turn away hundreds of people on election day because... Well, we don't turn them away. We also give well, them the information of where they need to go vote. And, uh, you know, yeah, we, do you sometimes plan- we have people there, too. I was going to say, do you put people, your people there to direct we, them? We do have human directionals at some of these places. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, let me take one uh, very quick call. Uh, Joe, very, very briefly, what's your question for the supervisors? Yeah, this is uh, Joe Robinson from West Tampa. But now I want to ask Craig. Craig's a great guy, but known him from the Sheriff's Department from high school at Tampa Catholic. I have a question. What was of the total vote? Could you break out by party? Can you break out with Republicans, Democrats, and uh, Independent? What was the total turnout by party? Thanks, Joe. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, so, uh, and I do have that information, Joe. And, and by the way, Joe Robinson still holds the track record at Tampa Catholic High School uh, state <laughs> record. So, congratulations, Joe. Uh, Republicans uh, accounted for 40.57% of the vote. Uh, Democrats uh, accounted for 45.75%. And nonpartisan minor parties was 13.68%. All right. I hope that answered... Uh that answered your question, Joe. Um, all right. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you want to say in the very, very short time we have left on the show, uh, I, Craig? I do. You know, we got a general election coming. If you're not registered to vote, go on your supervisor's website. Yeah. Mine's votehillsburg.gov. You can register to vote. Give us some dates and deadlines for that. Yeah. So the, uh, the election is November 8th. 
29 days before the election is when the cutoff is uh, to be able, and I don't have that right off the top of my head at this point. Oh, yes, I do. It's going to be October 11th is the last day to, to register, register. To, to vote uh, or to change your party affiliation. And the other big thing, and I, I hope I speak for Brian here, too, is we want to urge people, get your information from a trusted source. When you're talking about elections, get that information from a trusted source, and your supervisor of election is, in fact, that trusted source. And, of course, follow our social media, too. You know, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, a tremendous amount of information on there. Last night, our website went down for a while, and uh, Jerry had already set up another site. She tweeted that site out uh, that people could go look at election results on it. So there is some valuable information there. Terrific. Brian, is there anything that uh, you'd like to add real quick? No, the, the trusted source is so true because there's just, there's just, you know, we have so many voters who are being spoon-fed misinformation, disinformation. So, you know, there is no greater advocate for voters and voting than a supervisor. All right. Than All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we need to uh, thank our guests, Brian Corley from Pasco County, the Supervisor of Elections, Craig Latimer from Hillsborough County, the Supervisor of Elections. And if you joined us late in the show, feel free to go back and listen on demand from the archives at WMNF.org slash Midpoint or on the app or find us at WMNF Midpoint wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed the show and missed our fundraisers, you're in luck. There's always time to give us a generous donation. Um, And please direct your donation to MPW. Midpoint Wednesday. Please stay tuned for Talking Animals with Duncan Strauss up next. We are WMNF Tampa. I want to thank my volunteers, uh, Jessica Green on the soundboard and Barbara Fling, who answered phones for us. And as always, I thank you, the WMNF listeners, for your interest and your support of this show. We are WMNF Tampa.